Hello, and welcome to episode four of the AESA Graduate Student Coalition podcast. I'm your host, Tim Monreal, and I'm a PhD candidate at the University of South Carolina in the Social Foundations of Education program. This episode is the second of a three-part series based on the graduate student sessions from last year's AESA annual meeting. The title of this session is I'm a Foundations Doc Student, Now What?, featuring three faculty members, Dr. Sofia Rodriguez from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, Dr. Daniela Cook from the University of South Carolina, and Dr. Abraham De Leon from the University of UT San Antonio. In this second part, these three panelists discuss publishing as a grad student as well as during your first years in a tenure-track position. They share tips and tricks, but also they present the serious reality of academic productivity. In particular, you may want to listen for Dr. Cook sharing a way to create a pipeline and Dr. DeLeon's method of always having something under review. To get a context of the conversation, you may want to listen to the previous episode, which explains how our three panelists came to foundations and what their current positions are. Please stay tuned afterwards as we have some exciting news to share. Conditions were, I wouldn't say a lot different, but they were not as intensely rigorous in terms of publication expectations. Yes. So I, I got my first position at the University of Rochester in social studies education mm-hmm. as a social lead social studies person, where I worked with social studies, soon to be social studies teachers. Um, and I went out in the field and I observed them at schools. It wasn't my favorite thing to do, but I did it because I knew that was going to get my foot in the door. Um, I got a job with three book reviews and an online journal publication. Now that wouldn't be heard of now in yeah. 2018. I know that's a different it's a different world now. But if I have to say something, at that time that was a pretty productive expectation for a grad student in 2007 when I left. But there's no way around it. You need to publish. Yes. Like there's no tricks to it. I can't tell you, I can't give you a formula on how to do that, <laughs> but you're just gonna have to be productive. Um, it's going to be making sacrifices in other parts of your life because that's unfortunately what our work is about. Um, but you need to have something lined up for yourself in terms of publication. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way I came about it, I, I mean, I have a little bit of a gift for being a writer, so there's something implicit inside of me that I find it, I don't want to say it's easy, okay, but I do find myself drawn to the work. Um, but I also found writers in the field that I respected, mm-hmm. and I didn't read just education research, yeah. mm-hmm. okay? I read like humanities-based, historical, mm-hmm. theoretical work, and I left the boundaries of education, and I became a better writer that way. Mm-hmm. So I read fiction, I read stuff in cultural studies, um, I read, I found um, theoretical journals that I found really interesting, mm-hmm. and they were talking about theorists that I never heard of, and I just took the time and the effort, and I learned their theories, and I read, I found stuff online in terms of uh, online discussions, and you, those are the kinds of things you need to do, but I, I don't want to be romanticizing it, you need to be published, you just have to be, mm-hmm. um, and I tell every new faculty member, you know, it's like, if there's sacrifices that have to be made, um, for example, 
cut corners in places where you know you can cut corners. You know, there was sometimes I had responsibilities in my faculty position, and I'm not going to say I didn't give it 100%, but there was times where that got put on the back burner for my writing because I knew my writing was going to be taken more seriously than, mm -hmm. say, a service responsibility. Maybe I'm late to a meeting 30 minutes. Maybe I cancel a meeting and pretend I'm sick. I'm serious. Those are the sacrifices. Well, and people will pretend like the publishing sometimes isn't as important. Oh, and they'll I mean, tell you that. And, yeah. and, and that's the expense of, you know, that, so I, just, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, You're writing, crafting your process, mm -hmm. understanding who you are as a writer, the time you need, whatever. And yeah, I would agree. So there with was that. like some, yeah. a perfect storm that happened for me at the University of Rochester. Um, I actually taught once a week a three-hour class on Wednesdays, and I got a post release that first year, of course, of the first semester, I'm sorry. The second semester, she was like, well, do you want to teach a night course from 7 to 9.15 at night? I'm like, but I figured out I had one teaching responsibility one, week out of, one day out of the week, and that basically freed my time mm -hmm. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. All I did on Wednesdays was my teaching stuff, my mm -hmm. grading. I just busted it out. I woke up real early and got everything ready. It was a long ass day. But then, but Friday, Saturday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, all I did was research and write. So those are the kinds of strategies that I used. I, I kind of gained the system to my advantage in terms of getting my teaching to one day. And if you can do that, that's what I would suggest, making those kinds of moves for yourself. Because it is in the end about your writing. Yeah. Don't let anyone yeah. tell you different. Yeah, you're, you're, that's you your, need to be yeah, a good teacher. You need no, to be no, a good teacher. But nobody gets a job because you're a great teacher. Yeah. Nobody keeps their job because they're a great teacher. If you're if you're great at teaching, that's something that's important to you. So that's your priority, and you should do that. But I think even what we define as what being great at teaching is we need to refine it a little bit, right? So it's not about, oh, I grade the papers and get them back to you really fast. For me, being um, a good, a great teacher is, am I present in that two and a half hours that I'm teaching you? Like, I'm, am I really present in that moment? When do I know your names? And I'm amazed at how many, and apparently it's a big deal even at USC, because students across the board, undergrad and grad, like, you know our names. I said, I thought that was just like 101, but okay. <laughs> you yeah, read our me. papers. You read our papers. Like, you can tell that, so I'll read their papers. I also think that um, there are really great resources that are out there. Um, it was blackfaculty.com, but now it's the National Center for Faculty Development and Diversity. <laughs> um, and it's really great, though. It's this Monday motivator, oh, and it's yeah, all the tricks. And if you don't have them, oh, I've seen yeah, yeah, if you don't yeah. have them, I guarantee you, you know somebody who does. And what we all do is like we download it and save it into a Dropbox file so we can. And I know as a grad student, so you should check if your university has if it has a like a, a subscription, a subscription, because then you get it. You get it for free. Mm -hmm. And so it's like the University of Oregon has it, so you, so can you get it. Your yeah, and you it's should really get it. Enough. It's really great. You should save it, um, and the, the tricks are there. So some of the stuff Abraham like game the system. Everybody's gaming the system. What we all do is I have a list of things on my desk at home, like it's right above where I can see it, and my desk at the office, and it's how to say no in your personal and in your professional life. First. Don't say yes to everything. I know you're all eager, right? It's like, oh yeah, I wanna know how to do this. 
your first response should always be, that's really interesting. Let me get back to you. Mm -hmm. If you start learning to say that now, it's going to roll, trust you, rolls off my tongue. <laughs> that's really amazing. That sounds really interesting. That sounds really fascinating. I mean, this is great. I need to get back to you. And then you establish your no committee. Your no committee are your peeps who know you really well, right? They know what you, they know your commitments, but they also know you. They may know that you want to stay married to your partner. So, <laughs> right? So then they because I'm keeping it real. Like they want they want, they care enough about you to go. You know, you have one more thing to go play. That relationship that you think you care so much about, it ain't gonna work out, boo. Right? Or your children might want to see you while they're you're, little. Yeah, they're little, right? Like, so your no committee, they're the folks who they know what your aspirations are, but they they care about you and your brain. And so they'll say to you, well, if you do that, how are you gonna do this? So you have your no committee, and then that that's your kind of accountability mechanism so that you realize you're just creating a way of being in the world. Because, and, yeah. And get, to your, and get to a point where writing doesn't feel like work. Like when I'm honestly, I'm, I can't, I have terrible work-life balance, okay, I'm like a workaholic. I write every day, literally, I'm up on Sundays, like writing like four hours a day, like just because that's, but I enjoy, it doesn't, but, but I don't feel like I'm working. I feel like, like this is just a hobby to me. That's what I've made writing like. I'm like, I get up every day and I want to write, it feels, fun doing it. I don't feel like I'm working and I've clocked like 70 hours during the week okay. writing and I'm like, I know it's crazy. No, 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 because we're looking going, so for those so of you who that's not your hobby, yeah. <laughs> it's your work. But I think the point yeah, yeah. though is you, like, you, it's, you it's good yes. and you, I'm not saying to do what I'm no, doing, and, okay, I'm just saying, but I also, do what I do. Can, I just, can I add to that because I, one thing I noticed, I just started on Twitter more, and I noticed there's sort of a glorification of busy and acri, oh, yeah. and yeah. so, and that you can really go downhill in yeah. that, and I love that, I mean, I write a lot too, don't get me wrong, but, and it is fun for me, but I, I see people talking about it, and it becomes this, like, culture of, it's a, it's like a surveillance, like, yeah, we're yeah. doing it, I'm mm -hmm. doing it, I'm doing it, I'm writing about it on Twitter, I'm doing yeah. it, I'm writing, you know, I'm writing, <laughs> yeah. um, and I just, I think that's really unhealthy, mm -hmm. and um, as a person who does write a lot, and I do enjoy it, it's still hard for me, and it's still hard every time I sit down, and so, I guess, to that point, like, do you, and if, mm -hmm. like, write every day or write every other day or write in the mornings or find your own process. Yeah, but yeah. I just, I wanted to note that because I'm seeing it happen a lot yeah, on Twitter yeah. right now where there's this pressure to be visible in the work you're doing. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's really dangerous mm -hmm. because you start to internalize maybe that you're not good enough or you're not mm -hmm. doing enough. Mm -hmm. And I just, I put that out there because I suffer majorly yeah, from yeah. imposter syndrome. Yeah, so. I don't have Twitter. I don't have Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I, can't. Don't I think if you don't Twitter. access like social media, but use that time where you mm -hmm. would be just blindly going through Instagram and instead constructively do something that you're writing, mm -hmm. I think that's more where you're yeah, yeah. bettering yourself. Yeah, yeah. and, yeah. and you're yeah. I mean, some of this too is so. I'm a I'm an idea nerd. I, I, w I think I was, a, I was into theory before I knew what theory was, mm -hmm. right? That I had now have all these fancy terms, right? <laughs> for, oh, I'm studying the ontological. Well, I, I was doing it before. And so what I had to reclaim is my joy of thinking through ideas. 
when it, I wasn't being paid. Because there's something about when it's your job to do something, it, it kind of shifts, right? So you might you might like to cook, but when you have to cook because it's your job or people expect you to do it, it can pull the joy out of it. And so figuring out just whichever part of the, the academic process brings you joy, figuring out how to insert the joy into it and then shift your mindset in some ways for those things that you can't stand. So like grading, right? I've yet to meet anybody who's like, how do you love grading? You know, like full professors, I hate it. And then I said, okay, either I'm gonna go through the next 30 years hating something that's the core of what I have to do on a regular basis, or I gotta find a way to kind of shift it, yeah. So, um, for me, I see grading now. This is an opportunity for me to figure out what my students are getting. And it doesn't matter the level of the student, right? It's, what, what aren't they getting? What can, I, what can I learn about a student, right? And what can I learn that'll help me tackle this problem? So if, my, if I'm realizing that my, my students who are right now predominantly white, I don't have the problem of not having males because I teach social studies, so people want to be coaches there. So if, if, if I'm struggling with like, yeah, loop of the path, right? Social studies certification and then you can coach. Um, yeah, so, but if, if, the, the, if the thing for me is, these folks gonna be touching kids, how do I help them um, not be, you know, tacitly, implicitly, overtly racist in their touchings, right? Then their work can help me figure out how to do that better. And so now grading, it's not like it's my most favorite thing to do, but now I can come at it in a way Whereas it's a learning opportunity for me, which does, that does tickle my brain. I'm like, ooh, learning, okay. <laughs> so if I do it that way. Um. So don't be afraid to reach out to people that you respect. Mm -hmm. Have a project ready in mind. In fact, um, one of my big breaks was I got in touch with um, E. Wayne Ross, who's a big mm -hmm. person in the social studies field. And I pitched a project to him. I had the idea already for an edited book. Mm -hmm. I contacted some people that would submit some chapters, and I knew I'd have to collect some more. And I literally gave him uh, like a like a summary of what yeah. the, the project was going to be, and I sent it to him. And I did that for several big names in the field, and he answered me. Mm -hmm. Some of them just ignored me, which is going to happen. Mm -hmm. You just have to deal with that. Don't take it personally. It's business. But he was like, "Yeah, this sounds great. I'll be second editor." And it was a lot of work, but. You have to be strategic and, and don't be afraid to make moves like that for yourself. Don't wait for people to do things mm -hmm. for you. Grab the reins and do it yourself and take a risk. Mm -hmm. And that always goes back to the risk that I was talking about. Yeah. You will be rejected. You're gonna be rejected in your writings. Mm -hmm. People are gonna tell you you're not, all kinds of stuff's gonna happen and mm -hmm. you just have to persevere and believe in yourself and believe in your ability. Mm -hmm. So there's some self-love and yeah. some self-viability mm -hmm. in this too as well, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and I think this is kind of a more specific thing along those lines. Um, my advisor, he, I never published with him, but and he was kind of selfish in that way a little bit, um, which is fine. My mom was getting ready to retire. She literally oh, was right. like, had been doing it for 30 years, and she's like, dude, I'm done. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and mine was done. trying to get tenure yeah, and like hone in on itself. Yeah. Um, but because of the, that, the way that I mentor, I'm very open with publishing with students, mm -hmm. and it's yeah. because I know you have to. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I would say two things. One, introduce yourself to people. Try to get somehow involved, even if you just say, listen, I, I have students right now that are they're not even in our program, and they're like, 
I just want to learn how to do research. And mm-hmm. so they're coming on board. I, I have a million things I got to do, so I need help, right? But I think if you can approach people that are doing mm-hmm. work you're interested in mm-hmm. and try to ask them, like, hey, do you need any assistance? Like, And if they can pay you, great. If they can't, it might just be one of those things that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is, and I don't know where y'all are at in your like your journeys, but um, when I did started my dissertation, my advisor was like, try to, he didn't advise me to write a book from my dissertation, some people do that, um, but he said, like, make sure at least a couple of your chapters are in the hopper, mm-hmm. um, and so I had a publication, I, I think I had one, two maybe, um, going on the market, and then I had two under review from my dissertation, mm-hmm. and so he was, and it was hard and terrible, and I wrote a lot in like six weeks, I remember, when I was getting those applications ready, but because I had that stuff relatively ready mm-hmm. to go. And it wasn't for, like, AERJ, mm-hmm. right? Because no, right, as a yeah. grad student, yeah. you don't need to be an AERJ going yeah. on the job market. Yeah. But you do need to show that you have a plan. And mm-hmm. I think that was good advice. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, if you can set yourself up when you're doing your dissertation, so you're thinking of it mm-hmm. as this is going to be a publication that goes under review, um, you're kind of being efficient, Yeah, you you know, if that makes sense. You made me think of something, too, at my institution. Um, they allow for alternative dissertation. So what you mm-hmm. do is you can do three articles instead mm-hmm. of doing oh, some dissertation. To be honest really with you, that may be more worth your while. I think I learned a lot writing my dissertation. But if I look back on it, if I had to meet the market conditions now versus 2007, mm-hmm. I think I would have written the three articles. So you can look at mm-hmm. your institution to see what their rules are, um, and they may have an alternative situation like that and I would definitely take that because I think that's going to serve you better professionally. I'm not saying writing a dissertation isn't important but the articles is going to serve you well more professionally in the end if that makes sense. Yeah no it really does and even if your your college or department doesn't have it um, as their norm you can introduce it. Be the first one. I have no problems being the first one on thing. I'm like um, so I noticed that this is something that and the word that really works well when you're introducing something novel our peer aspirant institutions, <laughs> right? In other like, words, the people like, who we want to be like, and, and say, and say, look, this is one of the things that they're doing because they realize that they want to help position their doctoral students for success in the larger academic world, and this is one way for me to do do that. And and it and it's also going to work when you're then a faculty member, right? Mm-hmm. It's our peer aspirant institutions are structured this way to support faculty mm-hmm. productivity. Mm-hmm. So we might <laughs> want to consider um, doing things a little bit different. I think that there's um, the, the strategy part of getting what you need and it doesn't have to be unethical, which we've all seen, or slimy, mm-hmm. right? We've all seen things, I'm like, that's just not even right. Um, where, and I've heard of things that that's just not even right. Like, you know, you share an idea and then you see it in print, but you know that you shared that idea with that person and you're like, oh, that's interesting. Um, so just being kind of, you know, mindful um, about how you choose to move in the world with your work and realize that your capital um, is what you write, right? And I think that that's something that like your your product your production is what is in print mm-hmm. somewhere, 
great. Um, and the things that like the things that I didn't do well, because we can all say, oh, this is what I did great, right? <laughs> so the things that I didn't do well in hindsight, I did not. I love coming to AESA because I love ideas and I like mm-hmm. to talk about ideas. What I didn't do is my ratio presentations to publications sucked mm-hmm. until I had it like an aha like four mm-hmm. years ago. And I'm like, wait a minute. How are you like 70 presentations or like two publications? I mean, I'm exaggerating. But you really should think about mm-hmm. a ratio of no more than, say, three presentations to a publication. And if you can actually get it one-to-one or two-to-one, like two-to-one mm-hmm. presentations, like if you presented a paper three or four times because you're getting feedback, but that bad boy has not been shifted mm-hmm. into a kick-ass girl who's printing press somewhere, you need to kind of go back. Because I was so in love with ideas, I would, you know, AESA mm-hmm. is great. I would come yeah. up with these really great proposals that would get accepted, I get a paper here. Everybody has this great ideas, and we're all talking, talking, talking. Mm-hmm. Then you go on to next idea. Mm-hmm. Presentations yeah. are great, I, but are you translating yeah. that into publications? So thinking of publication for a strategy that I use, too, mm-hmm. um, I don't revise. I write out a paper, I send it to a journal that I want to send it to, and then if it gets rejected, I don't look at those first rejections and adjust the paper. I send it out immediately the same day. I have it all lined up. I, the same day that I get the rejection, I send it out to the next journal. Mm-hmm. And then the third, if it gets rejected a second time, I send it out to another journal. I don't touch it. I don't look at the comments, literally. <laughs> and then after the third time, I revise it. Mm-hmm. And, the, and I'll tell you why that worked for me. I got a paper, which is probably one of my most read papers in my autoethnography. Um, and that's probably one of my most read papers that I have. Which I love it, but it was like, I just kind of, I wrote it and was just thinking about it. It got rejected the first time, like flat out. Like uh-huh. dude, the editor didn't even send it out for a review. He's like, no. And I was like, damn. So I sent it to literally another journal, and they accepted it outright. That's the first time that's ever happened to me. The only uh-huh. time it's ever yeah, happened. Yeah, that happens once in life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they accepted it outright with like two that mark changes. <laughs> so it's like three times. Okay, that's like a, my my like uh-huh. magic thing. Uh-huh. And then after the third time, I mass all the information that of the rejections, and then change the paper. Because that you want something continuously in yep. That keeps yep. your paper always yep. in progress. You can put that on your CV. Mm-hmm. You can game the system that way and say, I'm always in production. That's Look, brilliant. I got yeah. three <laughs> papers here. You see yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. So yeah. three times. Mm-hmm. And, then, yeah. and then go back and yeah. revise it. And it's that thing that you should have one thing. I knew you were going to say yeah. that. You I wanted to say that. Yeah. I know you're going to say that. You can help me figure it out. Okay, I always you get go, it wrong. You, so you should you're have one say. thing that's in print, one thing that's under review, and one thing that you're working on. Yeah. Right? That's my advice. So, and you you do that. Cycle. And I, we and it, and it sounds crazy. Let me be real. Because people say that. I've been hearing that for oh that God, oh, 10 years, right? Um, ooh, even longer. I'm not there yet all the time. And that will wrap up part two of this series. I'm a Foundations doc student, Nawa, which was recorded live at the 2018 AESA annual meeting in Greenville, South Carolina. As always, I hope you found it worthwhile and informative. Before closing out the episode, I wanted to share an exciting announcement from the AESA Graduate Student Coalition. We just launched Bridges, a peer-reviewed blog in online space for emerging thought. In educational studies. 
The purpose of Bridges is to create a space by and for graduate students designed to serve as a start, a launch, and an impetus for beginning thought, collaboration, action, and of course, publication. Bridges will publish short articles, about 500 to 1,000 words, from graduate students after an open, collaborative peer review process. I'll be talking more about that next episode, so how about that for a teaser? To read more about Bridges and read our first CFP, go to any AESA social media site, or you can go to http backslash backslash bit.ly backslash 2 capital E lowercase y capital Y D capital M capital A. I'll also post that in the show notes. You can also reach out to me personally, T-M-O-N-R-E-A-L at email.sc.edu with any questions at all you may have. Also, don't hesitate to reach out if you have any ideas or feedback for this podcast. We continue and hope to see it grow as well as to produce more regular episodes. Some of those episodes may in fact be pieces that are featured in Bridges. Thanks for all your support. And wherever you're at, have a wonderful rest of the day.